We are in the series of Encounters with God, and today's encounter is a short one. Uh, encounter with Jesus, uh, you will find the encounter in Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. And it's very short, three verses that just talk, actually just one of the verses talks about Jesus, and then the rest talks about the disciples. After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they, they, could, see him no, uh, they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him raising, uh, risen into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Short encounter with Jesus, but important. Important encounter with Jesus. Um, and I was preparing. I knew quite a time now uh, that I will be preaching here and on August 28th, and later on you will know why I mentioned this date, um, I was sitting in my office starting to read through that book and preparing the sermon, and all of a sudden on my screen popped up one of those notifications. That's one of the things when you have your computer open, you should not do that when you prepare a sermon, just a mental reminder. Um, Notification from my um, news app that it was 55 years that Martin Luther King presented his famous I Have a Dream speech. As I thought about it, um, I thought that fits. It's very intriguing and very inspiring when you look at that time. Um, he was an inspirational speaker. That speech was definitely something that will uh, sound in our ears and will be talked about for a long period of time yet. Uh, he stood for justice, and then all of a sudden he was killed. He was gone. This big dream of his seemed that he was not there anymore. We know now, many years later, that his dream went on to be something bigger than just Martin Luther King Jr. Same thing with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor. I had to mention a German. <laughs> German pastor. He lived and ministered during the Third Reich. Uh, Hitler was at its peak of its power, of his evil power. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer decided to be part of the resistance. And he was a pastor at heart, so he always struggled with that thought, how can I reconcile doing something against some person, some regime, some government, and at the same time, what does that mean in times like this, to live as a Christian? He was at one time even asked by a soldier to bless him, and Bonhoeffer asked, blessing for what? I'm going to kill Hitler. And Bonhoeffer had to wrestle with that thought, can I bless a person that's about to kill someone else? And he wrestled with that, and he, he was in his time, he was the man that was needed on the spot. Everyone said he has a great future. And then about a month before the war ended, just a month before the war ended, he was executed by the Nazis, and everyone was, why? Why would that happen? We have a similar situation with Jesus. For three years, Jesus ministered. He had his disciples around. He walked with them. He talked to them. He taught them. He ate with them. 
And then all of a sudden, everything ends on the cross. He dies on the cross, and he's gone. Disciples are devastated. They don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he raises from the dead. He's there again. And I can imagine that all hopes went up, that the disciples were like, well, if our leader is immortal, imagine what we can do. The Romans can kill him over and over and over again. He's just going to come back. We are invincible. We can do mighty things. For 40 days, hopes and expectations went up and up and up. And then all of a sudden, that short Bible verse that we have After saying these things and meeting with them several times, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could see him no more. And they were like, what's going on? Jesus' ascension ends everything, and the disciples don't know what to do. He's gone. And at some point, I want you to realize it is good that he's gone. Maybe we should always come to that point, thank God Jesus is gone. Sounds a little bit strange, but I mean it. How do I mean that? Why do I mean that? Up until that point, and the disciples had the chance to talk to Jesus, be with Jesus the whole time. Afterwards, he was no more. And up until today, we have this longing to have Jesus around, that Jesus is presence, that we can talk to him directly. I don't know if you've ever had that. What if I could just sit down and have a cup of coffee with Jesus? That would be so cool. And talk to him directly and ask him directly, what in the world is going on? What do you want from me? Especially when those curveball comes and and we don't know what, what is going on. How many times have we wished for Jesus' power to be there, the healing power, the miraculous power, the things he did? How many times do we ask for guidance? These bracelets that for many time, many, uh, for a long time were around, what would Jesus do? Well, if I could just ask him, that would be nice. But he's not here. He is not here to talk to us. We cannot walk alongside Jesus. We don't have him here. But at the same time, again, I'm glad that he is gone, that he actually left us. How do I come to this conclusion? Why would I say that it is good that Jesus is gone? Tim Keller, in his book that we're using, Encounters with Jesus, he makes three points and kind of stole or borrowed it. I fill it with my own stories, but the ideas come from him. And I was just intrigued when I read this When we look at the encounters Jesus has with all different kind of people, we learned a lot. Um, Encounters like the uh, wedding of Canaan, where we talked about this importance of the blood and the water. It was just amazing to to see what meaning behind that is. And and that encounter with Jesus and his mother and the disciples and and the host and so on. Um, The encounter of Mary, Martha and the um, raising of Lazarus. It's just amazing how Jesus can do that. Um, We cannot have that. For one, Jesus is not here. Another thing is Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and it was actually 6,000, around 6,000 miles away. 
if we would want, if Jesus would still be here, if we would want to walk with him, he would either have to jump in the plane and come to us, or we would have to jump in the plane and go to him. It is impossible to see Jesus and, and everyone talk to him. And that's the point that um, Keller makes here. Keller actually says the ascension, at the ascension, Jesus leaves the uh, space-time continuum and passes into the presence of his Father. Time-space continuum, I thought of uh, Flash or of Star Trek or something like that. It's a little bit crazy. I bet Jesus would not have used those terms with his disciples. What is this time-space continuum? Basically, we can say that Jesus was bound to his human body where he lived, where he ministered. Um, He chose to live in Israel. He could not at the same time be in America and talk to the Cherokee or or some other um, group of people. Uh, He could not be in Europe and, and talk to people there. He was in Israel. If he chose to go right, that meant he could not go left at the same time. It is just who we are as humans. We are time and space bound. If he chose to go up to Jerusalem to be crucified, he could not relax at the beach at the same time. It just does not work. Jesus was bound as a carpenter, as a preacher, as a human. He was bound to time and place. Jesus, he was was local. He was, at the most, bilingual. He spoke probably Hebrew and Aramaic, maybe Greek. I don't know about that. It was a common language in that time, and uh, he, he was time-bound. The Holy Spirit is a total different story. The Holy Spirit is actually global, all-lingual, and universal. All-lingual, I, I experienced that one time, um, actually in that chapel up there. When I got married um, a couple years ago, uh, I remember vividly, I don't remember a lot. I, I was terrified of messing up something. This German having to do a, a um, wedding in, in, and a vow in, in English, that was hard for me. But I do remember vividly kneeling and praying the Lord's Prayer in German. My family sitting in the pews praying it in German and my wife and our pastor praying it in English, and I realized the Holy Spirit understands all of it. Let it be German, English, Spanish, whatever language it is, he understands what's going on. And I want us to look at this first point here closely. If Jesus would not have gone into heaven to his Father, the Holy Spirit would not have been able to come. And the Holy Spirit is God's imminent present in our life. With the Holy Spirit, we can be comforted. We can know that there is someone there who is interceding with groaning too deep for words. When we are in situations where we, the the only response we have is the Holy Spirit is there with us, transforming that into a prayer before God. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He does not fall asleep like the disciples of Jesus did when he was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane and and he asked the disciples to stay awake. The human body was just exhausted. The Holy Spirit does not fall asleep. He's there. He's our comforter day and night 
in those nights when you toss around and roll around and can't sleep, the Holy Spirit is right there. Your spouse might be sleeping beside you and you're like, what? And you want to talk and then you can talk to, to the Holy Spirit. You can talk to him in those situations where you don't know what to do and you just say, God, guide me. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He will give you the words into your head, into your mouth when you have a conversation with someone and don't know what to say. He will lead you. He will guide you. He is present. He will put your sh- his hand on your shoulder and let you know you are not alone. God's amazing power through the Holy Spirit is there. We can be witnesses for God. In Ecuador, I had this several times this situation where someone would ask me something and I would throw out those, those Bible verses and gave that person an answer. The person would walk away and say, thank you, that helped me so much. And I would walk away out of this conversation and I'm like, where did all that come from? In that moment, having those Bible verses and those answers, that was clearly the Holy Spirit speaking, working in me and using me as a tool. The Holy Spirit is there in a powerful way. He will strengthen you. There's this Bible verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How does he do that? Because of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ sent and lives in me. He strengthens me. He makes me strong to go through situations that I barely can go through. But if I invite him to be part, he will strengthen me. There's this other Bible verse in in, uh, Isaiah where it says, if I trust in the Lord, I will actually have like wings. I can fly like an eagle. Not literally. Don't try it. Um, But I will... I will have renewed strength and I will be able to go on with the Holy Spirit. Trust in the Lord. His unfailing guidance. The Holy Spirit will open up the word to me. When I read these words in the Bible and try to figure out what does that actually mean, he's going to be there opening up those words for me. Um, That leading might actually mean also sometimes that there's life-altering situations. I used to work as a carpenter, and I loved it, working as a carpenter. That is a beautiful trade. And then God called me into ministry through the Holy Spirit, and I was like, nope, I'm not going to go. And he worked for nine, nine months. He worked in me and with me, and I could come to a conclusion, yes, it is the best thing to do, to follow. He did not force me. He helped me along the way. He gave me that time of nine months, and I could go into it, um, into seminary and becoming a pastor, knowing that the Holy Spirit is in there and he helps me. Um, without the Holy Spirit of God, there is no direction and there is no courage to actually go on. Have you ever wondered why the disciples went back home to a house and they elected some, someone, Matthias, and, and said, okay, you're the new apostle, um, but then they kind of stayed put in that one room. They lacked the courage. They said, we need to do something. So they elected a new apostle. There's nothing wrong with that, but then they stayed put. They were in this one room and, and didn't know what to do until the Holy Spirit came, and that changed everything. Peter preached a sermon so bold that the, the Pharisees were like, what, what? What's going on here? Um, 3,000 people became Christians that day, 
And then they went into the synagogue and, and into the temple, preached there, and it, it just the, the ministry just exploded into something that they could have never imagined. Who would have imagined that 2,000 years later, through the Holy Spirit, this same message that the, the disciples had would be literally all over the world, preached and celebrated. The Holy Spirit came and he made it possible for us to, to have Jesus and his presence in us. Second point that I found here, um, Tim Keller makes the point in saying the ascension is actually a word that we should use here. He didn't just go up. Ascension, when we use that word, many times is also used as ascending to a throne. If there is a new king who will be uh, crowned the new king, he ascends actually some steps onto a podium and then sits on that new throne. Jesus is the king who is in charge of everything. And we can know that uh, as a fact. Jesus himself says, All power and control has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's why we can trust in him. When you look at this uh, Philippians Bible text here with me real quick, um, it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. And Paul goes on to say, okay, this should be your attitude. But then he says, though Jesus was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he, pe- uh, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honors and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, there's nothing higher than that. If every knee on earth, in heaven, and under the earth, meaning also the demons and everyone else that is trying to control everything, including Satan, has to bow before Jesus. He is the king, the Lord of lords. He is in control of everything. He is actually in the highest power and, you know, if that, that one person, that Jesus, died on the cross for your and my sins, I think it's safe to say that he is for us, right? And there is another Bible verse where we can um, look at it. We know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him, Romans eight twenty eight. August 8th was the point when I sat there and prepared that sermon. And I kind of made that connection. Uh, we know that God causes all, everything to work together for the good for those who love God. And then he goes on in, 30, uh, in, in verse 31. What shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Who can ever be against us? I mean, that's, that's amazing. God is for us, and he helps us, and he controls everything that is going on. I want to share two events in my life that I experienced. Um, 
One is uh, my first mission field in Yap. I was out there, Typhoon Sudal hit. If you want to look up Typhoon Sudal on Wikipedia, you can do that. That name has been retired because it was a Category 5 typhoon. It was one of the most devastating typhoons in that region. Uh, we were there. We experienced it. We, it was not fun, I, I can tell you. We were in a, in a house where the roof lifted up every time a wind gush came and kind of slammed on the front uh, walls again. And at some point, we just realized we have to get out of that house into a safer location. We did. We suffered through that whole thing. I was so exhausted from everything that when we were in a safe location, I actually handed everything over to God and said, you take care of us, of my family, and I fell asleep. I was so exhausted from everything. Why would I have to go through something like that? Well, after the typhoon, what do you need to do? Clean up, rebuild. The missionary before me was a gardener. He was a landscaper. He could have done that, and he would have done a marvelous job. But I'm convinced that God said, hey, let's put a carpenter there who learned some skills about rebuilding a roof. We had a kindergarten who had lost the roof. We had a, the church who'd lo- which had lost the roof. We had several other buildings that had lost the roof. And I was able to work with the carpenter there. Uh, on the island, there was a carpenter, and he said, you know, this building would have been way too much for me to plan how to make the slopes and everything it, it took you to teach me. I give you my labor. I don't charge for any labor, but you teach me your skills. And I did teach him those skills. God put me there, among many other reasons, to be there when it, when it was necessary. God is in control. He knew that. He needed a carpenter in that situation. After everything was rebuilt, he took me and, and my family to Ecuador, and we lived in Ecuador for another uh, 10 years. God knew that, and I'm convinced that this is not a coincidence. Um, Same thing in Ibarra. I was invited to go into jail. There was a pastor who was in jail for previous things that he had done um, before he was a Christian, before he was a pastor. It was not a pleasant um, environment. Um, Ecuadorian jails, believe me, you don't want to be in there. Um, But at the same time, I went in there, I talked to him, and he kind of helped me along to, to make connections with a church that he had ministered to in the northern part of Ecuador. And through that, after a while, I made some connections to a town where I later actually planted a church. I am convinced that God put this pastor in this dire situation and invited me into it to make those connections Now, that does not mean that he only does it through suffering, but he can use suffering. He can use the tough situations and turn it for the good for those who love the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Those difficult situations, they can be used by God. And I want to use another Bible verse that makes that point. God uses those tough situations. Romans 5, verses 3 through 4 Say, we can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. Have you ever rejoiced in trials and problems and suffering? Paul makes the point um, that we can rejoice in those problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and the character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. 
When we go through suffering, the first thing that happens is that God changes us, our character. And as soon as we invite Jesus into that situation, we will be transformed to what God has in mind for us. And the second thing, and that would be the the last point for me tonight, uh, this morning, um, is that we have a hope. What kind of a hope is, is Paul talking about here? When Jesus, uh, when, when uh, Stephen was stoned, n- not f- stoned, you know, <laughs> when he was actually being killed with stones, when the Pharisees wanted to take him out and actually did, he, they killed him, um, he was calm. He had actually a smile on his face. Now, how in the world, why would someone who is just being killed, who is just suffering through that whole thing, knowing that this is not going to end well, smiling, calm. Jesus was standing at the, at his, on his feet beside God. Stephen saw Jesus standing. He was not sitting calmly on, this, on, this place, on, on his throne. He was standing there. And we can know, there's a, 1 John 1, 29 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know, um, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with fa- the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate in Jesus. He pleads on our behalf. Stephen knew that, I know that, and I hope you know that too. We have this advocate who pleads for us. We have this advocate who says, I'm going to take care of you. The book of Revelations for many people is a scary book. I had a seminary professor who said it's one of the most beautiful books. Why? Because it ends on a good note. In the end it says, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes there will be a uh, death will be will no longer exist grief crying and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away justice will be served jesus is in control and he is our advocate one more bible verse that i want you to know romans 3:23 through 25 for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of god's glorious standards yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Jesus Christ is our advocate for us. If Jesus would not have gone to the Father, he could not stand right beside the Father, the judge, and plead for Stephen, for me, for you, on our behalf. And oh, is there a need that he pleads for me. Thank God Jesus is gone. We tend to strive to look up to heaven, and and where is he? Wouldn't he come? Wouldn't it be nice to talk to him? But then I want you to realize His leaving made the coming of the Holy Spirit possible. His ascension to higher power helps me trust in his control, and I hope you too. And his place in the universe gives us a powerful advocate 
before God on our behalf. Thank God Jesus is gone into heaven. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you left this earth. Sounds crazy, but we are glad you did. You're willing to go up to the Father, prepare a house for us. That would be a whole different sermon there. And then be the advocate for us. Be the one in control who guides everything and even uses the, the difficult situations in our life and turns it to good for us because we love you and you love us. And not just that, you gave us your Holy Spirit so that we can live with you and walk with you and be with you. Thank you for that. Thank you that you left this earth so that we can be accompanied and that we can know you are in control. Pray these things in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.